This morning is the first of a six-week message in which we're going to be zeroing in on the subject of worship. In the Bible, there are over 87 Hebrew and Greek words that are used to describe the concepts of praise and worship. And incidentally, I believe those are two different concepts, praise and worship. And during this series, we'll be talking about that. There are over 600 references to praise and worship in the Bible. In the passage that's before us this morning in John chapter 4, the word worship is going to appear in our English translation ten times. In the original language, it's there eight times, but it's the same word that is used each time. It is a word that means to kiss toward. It's used of the ancient tradition of a person kissing the hand of a superior. A person would bow to the ground in front of the superior, bow their head, and kiss the hand of the one that was before them. It's also used of the idea to bow down or to prostrate yourself before someone. In John chapter 4, we have a passage that is very, very rich. Of course, it's the story of Jesus and his conversation with the woman at the well. And there's so many different directions you can go with John chapter 4. It's a text that deals with, shows us how to present the truth graciously. It's a passage that would teach us about the priority of evangelism. It's a passage that would give to us a template on a method of evangelism. It's a passage that also speaks to the breaking down of religious and racial barriers. But it is also a key passage in the New Testament that speaks on this subject of worship. So follow along with me, John chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. But before I start reading, I just want to walk you through the context. Jesus has left Judea, according to verse 3, and has departed for Galilee. In verse 4, it says, he had to pass through Samaria. Well, the reality is the Jews avoided Samaria because they hated the Samaritans. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. There he meets a woman who comes to draw water all by herself, when nobody else is around. Jesus asks her for a drink. She is shocked that a Jew would ask a Samaritan for a drink of water because according to verse 9, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. When she says, why would you ask of me for a drink? Jesus tells her, if you knew who it was who was saying this, you would ask of him and he would give to you living water. So she says to him in verse 15, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, 
and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, he. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you will open the eyes of our heart, open our understanding, Lord, and help us that we might not be mere hearers of your word, but that we might be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A.W. Tozer who went home to be with the Lord in 1963, wrote the following. Man was made to worship God. God gave man a harp and said, Here above all the creatures that I have made and created, I have given you the largest harp. You can worship me in a manner that no other creature can. And when he sinned, man took that instrument and threw it down in the mud, and there it has laid for centuries, rusted, broken, unstrung. And man, instead of playing his harp, like the angels and seeking to worship God in all his activities, is ego-centered. Worship is the missing jewel in modern evangelicalism. We're organized, we work, we have our agencies, we have almost everything, but there's one thing that the churches, even the gospel churches, do not have. That is the ability to worship. We are not cultivating the art of worship. It's the shining gem that is lost to the modern church, and I believe that we ought to search for this until we find it. I would say amen to what A.W. Tozer wrote and I believe that his words are just as true today as they were when he penned them. So this morning we're going to start out by talking about worship. And what is worship? Roland Allen has defined worship as an active response to God whereby we declare his worth. John MacArthur has defined worship as our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words. 
based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. And Warren Worsby has defined worship as the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, and will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. Warren Worsby wrote a book entitled Real Worship. And he said in that book, the writing of this book has been a frustrating experience for me. The problem is not the vastness of the subject, but the narrowness of my own experience. Most of my worship experience has been in the fundamentalist, independent church tradition where the word worship was found only on the hymnal. Now, many of us that are here have come out of a similar type of tradition. And there were things that we did well in our churches. Perhaps we evangelized well. Perhaps we prayed well. But we struggled with this whole idea of worshiping God and being focused on worshiping Him. As we come to the passage before us, we're going to learn some things about worship. First of all, I want us to note that worship is not about a place. It's not about a place. You know, actually, we should be worshiping God all week in our lives. And when we gather here in this auditorium to come together as a corporate body to worship, that should be the overflow out of our private worship. But you don't have to be in a church to worship. You don't have to be in an auditorium with other believers to worship. It is not about a place. In verse 20, the woman says to Jesus, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Now, they are on Mount Gerizim. And Mount Gerizim has a history in the Old Testament as being a mountain of blessing. The Samaritans believed that Moses had built an altar on Mount Gerizim, and therefore he had commissioned them to protect that altar and to continue to worship upon that altar. So she is saying, our fathers said that, she, that God is to be worshipped here on this mountain. But you say, saying to Jesus, who is Jewish, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. There was a divide between the Samaritans and the Jews. Keep in mind, the Jews didn't want the Samaritans in Jerusalem worshiping anyway. They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-breeds, so therefore they wanted nothing to do with them. So there's not only a religious divide, there was also a racial divide between them. Jesus said to her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It's not about a place. Time's coming. It won't be about this mountain. It won't be about the temple that is in Jerusalem. Uh, in reality, there had not been a whole lot of pure worship 
that had taken place in the temple in Jerusalem. Only for brief spurts in their history was the worship within the temple pure. Even in Solomon's day, who who built the first temple, there was corruption that took place. There was idolatry that had taken place throughout the years as people would set up images in the temple and they would bring in false practices within the temple. So it's not about a place. Now Jesus then tells her that worship is something that occurs out of relationship. Worship requires relationship. Look at verse 22. You worship what you do not know. Jesus is not going to skirt the question of whether the worship in the temple and the worship of the Samaritans were on an equal plane. Because Jesus tells her, you don't know what it is you're even worshiping. The Samaritans had a long history of choosing what they would believe and what they would not believe. Their worship was not guided by the word of God. So you don't know what it is that you are worshiping. But he says this, for salvation is from the Jews. Now let's pause there for a moment. The scriptures have foretold that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would be the one who would provide salvation. So salvation comes through the Jews. And incidentally, It doesn't come just through the Jewish nation. It comes through the Messiah himself. If you jump down into verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who has called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then what does Jesus say to her? I who speak to you. Am he? And actually, in the original language, what he says, I who speak to you, I am. Conjuring up all those thoughts from the Old Testament of God's name. I am. So much for those who claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. When he uses that term, I am, everyone would know that is a reference to God. And so Jesus says, I am. I am the Christ. I am the one. I am the one that you need to listen to. I am the one that you need to follow. And we know that salvation is only through Jesus and Jesus alone. In John 14, Jesus makes that clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So let's make this real clear here this morning. True worship of God. If you're going to worship God, you have to be a follower of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, you are not a true worshiper of God. It is not enough for you to say, which is common in our culture today, well, I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or I am religious, but I'm not a Christian. There is only salvation through Jesus 
and through him alone. And if we are going to worship God in true worship, the type of worship that God wants, it must be through Jesus. And we must know him as our Savior. But as we speak about worship requires relationship, it also speaks to the idea that to worship God the way that he desires to be worshipped, we must come to him as Father. As Father. Look, beginning in verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father. It doesn't say the true worshipers will worship God. He specifically uses the word Father. They will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I want us to recognize this morning that the Father is seeking after worshipers. The Father wants us to worship him. He wants us to come to him as Father. You know, worship rises or falls on our concept of God. In the Old Testament, there are 14 examples of God being referred to by the name Father. Uh, And it's not so much in a personal relationship, but that he is the father of the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, there are 228 examples plus an additional three examples where we are told to approach God using the word daddy or papa, which speaks to a word of relationship that we have with God. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how did he teach them to pray? Our what? Our Father who art in heaven. Now, I know that there are some of you that wrestle with this whole concept of worshiping God as a father. And incidentally, we know that our concept of God as father is influenced by our relationship and our concept of our earthly father. Uh, I can remember... Years ago, someone approaching me after I was talking about this concept and saying to me in between services, if you tell me that I have to worship God as a father, then I will never worship God. Had a bitter relationship and a terrible relationship with his fathers. And earthly fathers can fail us. But God is a loving, And the example of what all of us as fathers should be like. And in order for us to worship God the way he wants us to worship him, we have to come to him as our father. A loving father who desires relationship with us and is seeking that relationship. So worship requires relationship. Next, worship is to be in spirit. 
in spirit. See it right there in verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. And here we have a theological debate over this word. What does this word spirit mean? There are those who would tell us that the word spirit means holy spirit. God must be worshipped in the Holy Spirit. And that is true. I don't know of anyone that would deny that God must be worshipped in the Holy Spirit. He's put the Holy Spirit within us as believers, and when we worship, there should be a response from within us through the Holy Spirit of response to God the Father. But on the other side of the divide, there are those that say, no, this word spirit doesn't mean Holy Spirit. It's referring to the human spirit, that we are to worship God with all that we are, with all our emotions, with all of, with everything that is within us, with all of our might, with all that God made us to be. We are to worship him. And you can see, based on how you interpret this verse, how that can direct your worship in one way or the other. Personally, I believe that the word that is used here is referring to our human spirit. All that God has made us to be. So that worship is first and foremost supposed to be an experience of the heart. Prayer without heart is empty. Songs without heart are vain. Confessions and creeds and sermons that don't come from the heart are empty and worthless in God's sight. See, we're going to talk in a moment that he's also to be worshipped in truth. But right now we're focusing on in spirit that we are to worship God with all that we are. Our love should cause us, our love for God, cause us to serve him and to worship him with everything within us. Let me kind of illustrate it this way. I love my wife, Barb. And that love is a love that's not just an emotional love, but it's a love of commitment that I have committed to her and she has committed to me. But is that enough in a marriage relationship? Is that all you want out of a marriage relationship? You know, if I said to Barb, hey, I told you I loved you on our wedding day and that stands until I revoke it. You'd say, (laughs) what? What? But if I'm going to express my love for Barb, it's going to take my emotions, my might, all that is within me. That is what, isn't that what you desire out of your marriage partner? Not just a factual contract that this is true, but something that comes out of our innermost being. Our love for God needs to flow from our innermost being. With all of our might, with all of our mind, with all our emotions, with everything that we are, we need to worship Him. 
Worship is also, though, to be in truth. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, the truth part was what was missing with the Samaritans because they rejected most of the scriptures and only accepted small parts of it. God must be worshipped in the way that he tells us to worship him. And that's something we will develop next week in our, our second series in this series on worship. But he is to be worshipped in truth. See, without truth, you worship God in a faulty way. You can have all the emotions in the world. You can have all the passion in the world. But if you don't worship God the way that he's instructed us to worship him, it's nothing but emotionalism. And true worship must be in spirit and in truth. So this morning, I want us to kind of ask each of ourselves, how are we doing with our worship? Robert Wentz, in his book, Room for God, suggests that we should have a worship report card. So I'm going to ask each of you to kind of grade yourselves as we think about different elements of worship when we gather together. Now we're going to keep it simple. Uh, actually, I asked my wife, a first grade teacher, how is it that they grade students these days? And so they get one of three scores. They either get an M for meeting expectations, a P for progressing, or an L for limited. So you kind of self-grade yourself this morning, as we talk about. Right? How were you and how are you generally in worship in preparation and being on time? What did you do before you arrived this morning, either last night, last week, or earlier this morning, to prepare yourself for worship. When do you normally get here? Several years ago, and this person's no longer in the congregation, so I can use this illustration. Uh, I tell people I have lots of good illustrations. I can't use them because they're sitting in front of me each week. <laughs> But since they're no longer here, I'm going to use them. And if it gets back to them, oh, oh, well, I guess I deal with that. But I was here for our first service, and I had a responsibility that I had to leave after the first service. I wasn't preaching. Somebody else was. So I stuck around after the service. I greeted all the people coming in for the second service. I ended up talking to some people who had some issues, and then I made my way out to the parking lot in the back. Now, at this point, there's about 20 minutes left in the service. And arriving in the back parking lot was a family with their kids. I mean, they had literally just pulled into the parking lot. And they started to walk toward the children's ministry where they had to check all their children. And this is second hour, not first hour. They're walking to the children's ministry to check their children. And, and then they would come into the worship service. And this was a common practice of this particular family. And I literally thought, why bother? 
to get here for the last 10, 15 minutes is because you just want to check off a box that says, I was in church. So how would you grade yourself in that particular area? How about in the singing this morning? Did you sing with all your heart? Yes. (laughs) Did you pick and choose the songs you would sing? See, some people only want to sing the old songs. Of course, that's relative. What is an old song? Because I talked to some younger Christians in our church, and anything that wasn't written in the last two years to them is an old song. So some only want to sing the old songs. Some only want to sing the new songs. But we're a church seeking to minister to everyone from the cradle all the way to their burial. And this needs to be a place where everybody is welcome and everybody can come and worship. And we are a family. But so how did you do in your singing this morning? How about your physical offering of praise and worship? If anyone looked at your face, would they know you were worshiping today? What about, do you feel the freedom within worship to clap your hands? Now, actually, in the Old Testament, someone has written, it's impossible to use the word praise without using a word that doesn't involve the use of the hands. How about the raising of your hands? Now, I'm not trying to force anyone here to do anything, but do you have the freedom in your spirit to do that? Or would you argue with God if he moved you to do that? I don't have time this morning to share how my total, how my experience was totally changed in one service where God told me, why are you being critical of people who are doing something that in the scriptures it talks about praying with raised holy hands? So how did you do with your physical expression of worship this morning? How about prayer? When we prayed, did you pray along? Were you praying in your spirit? How about your offering? What kind of offering did you bring to God this morning? Did God look down at your offering and say, man, that was really limited? Or did he look down and say, you meet the expectations of what I desire for you to give? Now, many of these subjects we're going to cover more in the coming weeks. This is just kind of a teaser this morning of things that we'll be talking about. How about listening to God's Word? Were you listening as we read the Word of God, as we talk about what's in the Word of God, or did you tune out? What about your attitude this morning? Are you sitting here saying, this can't get over fast enough for me? I need to get out of here. Did you come with an attitude that you came this morning to meet with God's people and to worship God together? Or did you just show up because that's the thing you do on Sunday mornings? I will remind you, God, the Father, the Father, is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I think and I hope 
that he will find that here in our congregation as we gather. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us that we might grow in our worship of you. That we might be all that you've called us to be. And that we might indeed worship you in spirit and truth. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.